podcast, Answer Man, episode number 198. Entertaining, educational, and encouraging content that makes a difference. This is GSPN.TV. Join the community. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Podcast Answer Man. My name is Cliff Ravenscraft, and this is the podcast about podcasting, helping you to take your show to the next level. It does not matter if you have not yet recorded your first episode, if you just got started out, or if you've been podcasting for years. There's always something that we can do to make our shows better, and I proved that with with my episode last week, episode number 197. That's right, my friends. Uh, as as I ended episode number one hundred ninety seven, you could probably tell by the end of it, I was not happy with what I had put out there. Not happy at all, and it was not my finest hour. And you might ask yourself, as a as a podcaster, you know, one of the benefits of podcasting is that, by golly, you don't need to put everything out there. If you're unhappy after you finish hitting the re- after you hit the stop button uh, and you're done recording, why not just edit out anything you're unhappy with? And I probably will tell you that if, if I did not record that show live in front of an internet audience, I would have edited out the last 30 minutes of last week's episode. It just did not go the way that I had intended. And certainly, yes, it, it revealed probably a few personality flaws and, and, and some things that I need to work on personally. I still feel very passionate and very strongly about some of the opinions that I shared there, and, and I feel like I'm right in some areas, but you know what? It, it doesn't matter if I'm right or not. I still shared it in a way that I'm not happy with, and so why did I still put it out there? Because I moved Podcast Answer Man back to the live show format, and I recorded it in front of about 60 people, and so I figured that chances are, those who heard it, there would be some kind of talk or buzz going around online about the things that I said in episode number 197. And of course, if people would go and listen to hear for themselves what it was that I said, uh, good or bad, uh, if if all of a sudden the show was 50 minutes and less to, let, instead of 120 minutes, that it would appear that I might be hiding something. And I'm certainly not hiding something. I, I am who I am, and I am embarrassed by episode 197, but I put it out there anyway. And, and so that's why it's there. Now, this episode right here, not being recorded in front of a live audience. And it's not because I'm afraid that I might repeat last week. Uh, it, the show will be back next week, probably. Uh, you know, I, I plan the shows one week in advance at this point uh, for Podcast Answer Man anyway. And so this episode is actually going to include a talk, an interview, or not an interview, but a talk that my wife and I gave just a couple weeks ago on a cruise uh, with Dan Miller, uh, author of 48 Days to the Work You Love and No More Mondays. And uh, it was the first time my wife and I ever did public speaking together. And there's a reason why I'm sharing this with you. And by the way, I want to tell you right now at three minutes and 24 seconds into this, that this podcast episode is going to be about an hour and 10 or hour and 20 minutes in length. All right. I'm just going to tell you that it's the same as last week. And I really apologize. And next week from this point forward, I'll do everything within my power to keep these things under an hour. But this week, I'm just telling you right up front, it's going to be longer, uh, just like last week. Now, I I was not going to play this voice feedback for you. 
Uh, but as, as podcasters, I want to let you know, when you go out there and you make a mistake and, and you say something, even if you regret it and you recognize it and you're apologizing for it, it, it but if you put it out there, you may open yourself up to some criticisms. And, and I'm going to be playing some feedback here for, that was left for this show. So obviously it was meant for the podcast. And uh, I'm going to tell you right now, I probably deserve a, a bit of what you're about ready to hear. But I don't deserve all of it, and and I completely disagree with quite a bit of it. And and before I go any further, let me just play the voicemail. I did not want to edit a single word out. Uh, actually, I did want to edit some down because it's four minutes and forty nine seconds. But I'm going to play all four minutes and forty nine seconds. And and I want to tell you, my friends, this is an example of what I feel is overly critical feedback. Here we go. Hello, Cliff. Uh, this is Fred from Texas. Episode 197 of the podcast Answer Man. You went on a rant for 30 minutes and 22 seconds. And uh, I'm not going to just complain or criticize. I offer you some feedback along with some maybe an offer a solution as well. Because uh, it does no good just to criticize somebody without offering something in return. Yes, uh, you were very arrogant, you were a complainer, and you went into a baby's tantrum with your rant. Uh, what that showed to the audience who was listening, and I put myself in my listener's shoes, because I, by the way, have 12 podcasts. If you want to know who I am, then go to your friend, Daniel J. Lewis, and he and I did an interview about podcasting in his Audacity podcast series, and he did it over two episodes. So yes, I'm, I've been podcasting for five, six years now. There are 12 podcasts still active, and uh, some of them very, very popular. However, you uh, showed your selfishness. You showed yourself to be an egomaniac, because what you were doing was showing how self-serving you are, because you are taking and not giving when it comes to podcasts. Yes, you owe there for your purpose to satisfy your ego, to satisfy your need, and to also uh, be profitable by pimping, I mean by promoting yourself and your, your brand and trying to get revenue from it. Now, I tried, to, um, I tried to go to some of the shows. I've been speaking at PodCamp since 2006 when they were formed. I was at PodCamp number two and have spoken at seven or eight PodCamps since then. However, I also tried to get into Blog World and New Media Expo, and I was given uh, that it was not objective. It was very subjective. They, the Nepotism and Good Old Boy Network rejected my proposal, and I was probably one of the few that actually had a good podcasting network. And your buddy, Rob Walsh, was one of the guys that said, if, uh, if you have uh, uh, was it a coach in your title, which I didn't, by the way, then he's going to scratch you immediately uh, from Blog World Expo, uh, Numia Expo so that you don't get a session. And oh, by the way, he invited somebody who had that as a title coach. How do you like them apples? So... What I would say is you have to be a giver, not a taker, because you've been taking all this time, and your attitude as a little egomaniac, egomaniac, baby tantrum complainer, arrogant, self-serving person showed that in your 30-minute rant. However, there is something that you could do. This could be for you a lesson in humility. And yes, as you close in the last few seconds of episode 197, you were a jerk, a very big one. However, uh, maybe I could offer this. Why don't you take a lesson from Daniel J. Lewis, one of the person, uh, one of the persons in podcasting, who, by the way, uh, always 
praises your name. And he, by the way, has the podcast series called The Audacity of Podcast, along with everything in this Noodle Mix Network. And uh, i got to mention, he's got that <clears throat> the review for the films, and he also has his comedy podcast. But Audacity of Podcast is the one that I listen to, and, and he and I have been interviewed on that one. And also, I put him on two of my podcasts. However, the suggestion I have is, why don't you volunteer to help out in PodCamp Cincinnati? That's going to be in October. This way, you can understand what it's like. You can be a giver and not a taker. Now, as a consultant, what I do is I offer one free consulting engagement to organizations I feel are worthy. I do that once every year. I've done it for the past four years, and it is one of the most worthwhile and and humbling experiences, and it also is very rewarding, and it gives you ten times the rewards of what you're doing, which is being an egomaniac baby who's always taking and not giving, and then complaining when you don't get your way, just like a tantrum. However, if you volunteer, if you give to the community, if you work with Daniel J. Lewis, who's organizing PodCamp Cincinnati, then you may learn what it's like on the other side, and it probably will be more profitable for you, both financially and definitely, as far as your career, and maybe help you grow up a little bit. Because at this stage, for what you said, and what you said you did, you know, on the social media networks and social media tools, yes, you're very immature, insecure, arrogant. And that, my friends, is the end of that message. Wow. <laughs> Gosh. I, there has only been two other pieces of audio feedback that have ever been more stinging and critical than that. And Wow. And and did I deserve some of it? You go back and listen to episode number 197. It's there. I did not edit a single word out of it. I am not proud of it um, at all. Uh, I, I admit there was some selfishness there. Of course, the, the whole rant was mostly meant to be an apology to them, but still, I, I went on a rant. My, my biggest thing is that I just totally disagree with the lottery. I, I The lottery just blows my mind. It and it still does, and I'm very, very passionate about that and and stuff like that. Now, you 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 assert that I am always taking and not giving when it comes to podcasts, and I 100% disagree with that. And there's no way you can know otherwise, because I certainly don't go about telling you everything that I do to volunteer and help for podcasts at all. Uh, but but yeah, I can just tell you right now, I I, I don't. I I'm not just a taker. Uh, I, I've certainly volunteered my efforts in, in many pod camps. Have I organized one? Have I put myself out there to organize one? No. And, and chances are you may, uh, in the talk that my wife and I gave that I'm about ready to share with you, you may come up with the understanding of how many hours I've worked around the clock for the last couple of years to understand why I've not been able to organize one. Uh, but every pod camp I've ever been a part of, except for pod camp Nashville, uh, every podcast I've been a part from, part of, I've always offered and volunteered to help with anything and everything that I can do. And uh, I've been a very big part of of making sure that I was in all the planning, most all the planning sessions for PodCamp Ohio for each of them. 
and certainly as the event approached, you know, helping them to to set up for the day, stuff the 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 swag bags and and all the other stuff. I'm always there the day before, making sure that I can pull things off, doing everything to make sure everybody gets to where they're going. Yeah, I I, I give. I'm not just the taker. And as far as your lesson for for humility, certainly the, episode 197, just putting out putting it out there was a lesson in humility. I certainly am not happy about how it cap- happened. Um, but my good friend, Daniel J. Lewis, uh, who I, I love, and he is a very sincere, close brother in Christ. Uh, he is he is a very good friend of, of mine. Um, he attended um, a, a Bible study that my wife and I held in our home every single week uh, for probably at least a year, if not multiple years. I'll let Daniel uh, fill in the details there, but uh, Daniel's a close personal friend and brother in Christ, and 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 I and I love and care for him sincerely, and I love what he's doing out there. And yes, go check out the Audacity to podcast and Noodle.mx and and all the other wonderful things that Daniel's doing. And I continue to pray for his success as he transitions to doing some of the work that he loves for a living, and and I hope that he achieves a ton of great success. And I am very delighted to know that he had uh, started the planning for PodCamp Cincinnati. I had registered PodCampCincinnati.com back as soon as I got back from PodCamp Boston. And uh, I had let that go after a year when I realized that I was just way too busy to do it. He picked it up and and has been running with it. Uh, I will will say that, not that I would have ever said this otherwise, but I will tell you now, I was one of the first five people uh, that, that offered to help in any way possible. And uh, you, you know, last week really got me uh, thinking about just how passionate I am about podcasts and just how hopefully I, we can keep these things from going the way of the podcast New Media Expo, which, by the way, does not exist anymore today. And and so, yeah, I, I certainly have some strong feelings about how, you know, to, to run some of these. And I've been to quite a few and and uh, I have uh, touched base with Daniel and have reconnected with him. And uh, and and in fact, I will. Uh, you know, it's it's still quite a ways away. It's still October 2011. But uh, yeah, th- th- to assume that that I'm not willing. Uh, it uh, anyway. It just it, it, yeah. If Fred feels this strongly about episode 197, there's got to be at least a couple more people who feel the same way about me after hearing last week's episode. And so what I'm hoping to do in this episode is I want to share with you uh, the following talk that my wife and I gave last week. And uh, I want to let people know, if, if Podcast Answer Man's all you listen to, do me a favor, go to gspn.tv. Spend five, maybe 10 minutes, browse around that site and understand that Podcast Answer Man, uh, this this part of what I am and or who I am and what I do, this is a very, very small percentage of who I am and what I do through podcasting. And my entire life, uh, for the last uh, five years has been about giving and uh, and and it's not been about taking and and I hope that if for those of you who have you know and I, I recognize you know 95 percent of you out there listening to this you know that last week was not my finest hour but you certainly understood you know that this isn't Cliff being arrogant and 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 cocky and thinking he's the, you know, the world revolves around him. Although, you know, I struggle with thinking that sometimes. And I ask you, do you ever sometimes struggle with the wor- thinking the world should revolve around you? And if not, um, you know, just know that I still do. I still do struggle with that from time to time. But with that being said, 
Hopefully, this talk will give you a greater understanding of my heart for podcasting uh, and, and a little bit of our story of, of where we, we are focused in our mindset when it comes to podcasting. So without any further ado, here is that talk right now. We want to ask the question, has, have you ever wanted to use your life to make a difference in the world? And of course, I think hopefully most of us would say, yes, we, we have something we want to offer to the world. And we're going to share with you how we've been able to accomplish that through social media and specifically through our favorite medium, which is podcasting. Is that right, Steph? I think that's right. All right. So you want to tell, start off with the backstory? All right. Um, our backstory. We um, have been married 14 and a half years, um, got married in August of 1996, and um, in the fall of that year, Cliff felt the call to full-time ministry, and I did not. And that became a very uh, turbulent time for you know just starting out in that first year of marriage, and he was all gung-ho, let's lead these small groups, let's do this, let's do that. I'm like, I don't think so. And she, um, The words she used when I felt called to ministry after we got married is, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't marry a pastor. I didn't want to be married to a pastor. And um, I spent a lot of the next year and a half, two years, contending with God in that area of my life. And uh, caused, I mean, it, it was a very rough first, year and a half for us. And I want to say that for ministry, you have to understand, well, you don't have to, but we're going to ask you to please understand that we were involved in a very small Nazarene church at the time. And so therefore, when you say to a Nazarene staff of ministry, uh, you say, I feel called to ministry, there's really only one way to go, and that is, you're, you're going to go to school and you're going to become a, a, a pastor of, of one of our Nazarene churches. We're going to put you into that fast track, and of course, when I felt called to ministry, I just knew that God wanted me to devote my life full time to to encouraging other people to, yes. be, to, to live for God, yes. to live according to His principles, and I just assumed that because of the people over me were more godly than I was, and, and and stuff like that, that they said, well, obviously, because you feel this tug in your heart, that means you should be a pastor of a church one day. And it was, I'm like, whatever you want, God, I'm there. And Stephanie's like, there's no way on earth I'm called to be this Nazarene pastor's wife. I wasn't. And, you know, I remember we sat down with um, our head pastor and his wife. We went out to lunch with them one day, and I told him flat out, I'm like, Keith, I'm not made for this. I can't stand on that pedestal that they put Marie on. I can't... Um, that was his wife. That, yeah, that's his wife. I can't... Um, I don't fit that mold that that people um, associate with a pastor's wife. And he looked me square in the eye and he said, break it. And I've been breaking it every day ever since. <laughs> yep. So uh, here's, here's the deal. Um, I, I got a position after a year of studies as uh, the associate pastor of our small Nazarene church. And I studied for two and a half years until uh, I got my district minister's license. It, it was an interesting time, to say the very least. And uh, I learned a lot of things about how churches work and, and the politics and everything that were involved. And, and in spite of all the things that turned me off, I, I, I knew that if God wanted me to do 
this when, as far as full-time ministry, then, then this is what it looks like. Well, in December of 1996, yes, I had an offer. Back a bit. Oh, by the way, when I, start, when I was associate pastor, I did that at no pay. <laughs> Which well, is, they, they paid us um, a partial housing allowance, so it did pay for a part of our rent, and they did pay for his classes that he was taking that's true. at Nazarene Bible College, and, um, and we were promised a lot, but never delivered a lot. Yeah, so. but the thing is, is, is yeah. the pay wasn't great, and it was certainly wasn't going to be anything that was going to uh, to help me to support myself, my wife, and then we found out right after that that Stephanie was pregnant with Megan, our first child. So I'm sitting there. Stephanie's working, mm-hmm. and I'm working, and we're looking. You know, how do we pay the bills? And we're going to get into a little bit more about the the D word. Mm-hmm. And, and, and trust me, it's not the bad D word. It's it's actually it's, just, it's, 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 it's a bad D word. We'll we'll tell you about the bad D word in a minute. What happened is my family owns an insurance agency. My stepdad and my mom uh, have been married since I was about five years old. So he's practically my dad, and my dad owns an insurance agency, and it's been in the family since 1935. And the offer was made to me to come in and work with them in December of 1996. Now, they brought me in as a computer network administrator because computer networks were brand new, and they said, you know, you pretty much can figure out things with computers. Why don't you come on board and work with us? And I said, listen, I'll come work with you in the agency as long as you'll promise me two things. Number one, you won't make me sell insurance because I have no desire to ever do so. And number two, that if I ever am offered a position as a full-time minister that you will not give me a hard time about leaving no matter how little the pay may be because my dad has always made a pretty significant amount of income and has shared his desire for me to do the same to provide for my family moving forward. So um, he said, yeah, absolutely. You know, if we won't make you sell insurance. We won't make you do anything. So I went to go work for my dad. And one thing led to another. I, I got the network set up. And so what do you do working 40 hours a week in an insurance agency when the computers are up and running and there's really only three other, or two other people in the office and what do you do? You help answer phones. You get phones. your insurance license. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, is, of course, it started out with my dad's like, he says, now show me how to quote using this new software. So I had to learn how to quote insurance. And I had to, and through the process, I picked up a lot of the knowledge of insurance and stuff like that. And so my dad, not liking computers, says, why don't you do these quotes for me? And of course, law by law, I can't pick up the phone and give the client the price, but I can take all their information, put it in a piece of computer software, and punch it all out, print it up, and give it to my dad, and he can call them and give them the price. Well, and that wasn't fun. Cliff wanted the commission off of those. <laughs> well, the thing is, <laughs> like, I'm doing the work. I want the commission. Well, the thing is, is my dad says, you know, you're doing all the work. You're, matter of fact, you're taking the information over the phone. You're putting it into the computer. You're, you're choosing everything. And all I'm doing is picking up the phone and calling. And I, I'm so busy, I can't call all these people back. Tell you what, you go get your license and I'll pay you X number of dollars for every one of these that are sold. And thus began my property and casualty days. And then after that um, became my life and health insurance days. And it got to the point where eventually I was making $87,000 a year when pretty much everybody my age wasn't making that much money. And so I was doing pretty darn well in the insurance industry. Then something happened uh, in... 
we, and, uh, uh, Megan was Megan was 15 months old. Um, I had just found out that I was pregnant with Matthew. And on Valentine's Day of 2001, at quitting time, I got fired from my job. Mm. And um, it was... That was 10 years ago. That was 10 years ago, yes. Yeah. It was um, the best thing that has ever happened to our family um, before quitting his job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, we, when we got married, we, um, we decided that I would always work. We both came from two working parent homes, and that was just is the way of the time. That, that's, that's what everybody does. And um, had that not happened, had I not been fired, um, I'd still be working today. We would have never made that decision on our own. And um, so just being able to, being able to say, you know, it, it was, I was wrongfully fired and I could have gotten my job back. They offered me my job back and we said, you know what? No, this is the hand of God in our life. And, um, that's when we we started. That's the first time that we really learned um, sacrifice to learn on to live on one income. All right. Then comes the big D word. Now, of course, the big D word happened a lot before this. Oh, we've been building it up for a long time. <laughs> so, so Stephanie was young when I married her, and I brought the big D word into our marriage, and that course, big D word is the word debt. But our money got married. Our money yeah. got married. <laughs> Good for you. All right. I didn't have any debt, but I got something <laughs> Like it or not. Now, the thing is, is I grew up in a family where money, there was plenty of it. And of course, um, I was never taught well how to handle money, but I knew how to spend it because I've had, I saw a lot of that. So I had a student loan uh, where I finished off a couple years of college and uh, then I had a car loan. And I also had credit card debt, which uh, I brought into the into our marriage. And I taught Stephanie how to spend money on credit cards. <laughs> so it didn't take very long, but uh, we added it up at one point when we finally learned that we wanted to live differently. Uh, at one point, we were well over eighty thousand dollars in unsecured credit debt. We were over eighty, and we're not proud of that. But we're proud of the things that have happened since then. So um, we heard about um, Money Matters from a guy named Larry Burkett. Have you guys ever heard of Larry Burkett? He had, I think he passed on a couple years ago. Anyway, uh, we, it was the very first time in my life I had ever been approached with the idea of budgeting. I am not kidding you. I don't know how old I was at this time. Um, um. Probably well, mid twenties. You you were probably approaching thirty because okay. um, we started the Larry Burkett, and then when you were turning thirty, that's when we built the house. Okay, the the amount of debt that we had, and just hearing about budgeting for the very first time was the most frustrating thing mm-hmm. you can ever imagine for me because it was just so overwhelming. It, it's just it doesn't matter how much money we brought in, it right. there wasn't enough to pay all the bills. And it was still had eighty thousand debt. Yeah, we still had eighty thousand dollars in debt. And of course, we never had. I mean, there wasn't any kind of talk about how to prioritize. It was just, you know, I'm sure Larry Burkett had some wonderful materials, but me, I just heard him on the radio, and I bought you know one of his workbooks and started to fill out some spreadsheets, and we gave it a shot, and we failed miserably month after month after month. But eventually, the one thing it did do is it trained us to understand that we have a problem. And it's a problem that needed a solution. And we just continued to just live, you know, month by month, week by week, and sometimes day by day, 
uh, putting, going to the gas station, uh, filling up the car with dollar uh, seventeen in pennies <laughs> and gas, and uh, not filling up the car, but putting some gas in the car. So things were things were really bad. There's a gas station in Newport that will only take three dollars in pennies. <laughs> yes, that's the limit. All right, so. <laughs> so then we heard about a guy named Dave Ramsey, or I did anyway. And I, I heard about him from a friend of mine at church, and then, um, and, and I, I, he talked about debt-free living, and of course, I remember my stepdad saying, you, you know, you don't ever live life debt-free, you always owe people money and, and stuff like that. That was the philosophy, you know, it, it, it's just, you always, you're going to owe people until you die. And I'm like, okay. Um, and then I heard this philosophy of debt-free living, you know, paying off everything and don't owing, you don't owe anybody anything. And that was a foreign concept to me. And um, I, I thought this friend of mine was crazy, uh, first of all, the one who told me about this Dave Ramsey guy. And then I heard him on the radio one day. And then I listened to Dave Ramsey, and I'm like, this guy is crazier than I thought. <laughs> I mean, I just remember thinking, this is so radical, different from what we're used to hearing. And... Um, and all of a sudden, I started to get excited about the possibilities when I heard the testimony, the people calling in, talking about the fact that we started five years ago, we started four years ago, and what they were able to pay off in the amount of a short period of time. And, and they kept mentioning this book called The Total Money Makeover Book. <laughs> and so I went out and bought it. He bought it. I he talked brought to it Stephanie. home. We looked at it. We flipped through it. We never we read really, it. We never read it. We still to this day have never read The Total Money Makeover <laughs> <laughs> Never have read it. I actually, I donated our copy to church and Cliff went out and bought a new one and put it on the shelf. But I didn't buy a new one. It. I went to Pie Camp Nashville last oh, year. Okay, that's Dave true. Ramsey's people were there and they and said, so here you, Cliff, take these. We yeah. know that you tell people right. about us. So, so um... <laughs> So, you know, we can't escape that book. It's just haunting us. But, um, so we, we've heard about Dave Ramsey at that time. We were, um, at the, that time, we were renting from his parents. And so now he's working for his parents. We lived across the street, and we were renting from. It was starting to get overwhelming, and he was approaching 30. He's like, I'm 30. I got all this debt. I don't own my own house. But So um, we decided that we were going to... Uh, we're going to buy a house. <laughs> yes. Because, yeah. you know, that's like the smart thing to do, right? <laughs> well, the thing is, is we knew we were interested in Dave Ramsey at this point. And I knew that I didn't we want to get serious. I didn't want to get serious into Dave Ramsey stuff because I knew what Dave Ramsey was going to tell us to do. Right. And so before we got started with Dave Ramsey, I said, let's do one last stupid thing. <laughs> so we, we built a house. And, um, because if we, if we start Dave story. Ramsey, we he know we're not going to be able to build this house. That's right. So we built our house. And Zero money in. down. Zero money down. Everything was rolled into that, you know, that month's mortgage. And um, that was, we moved in in October of 2003. In the summer of 2004, we went and saw Dave live and started our debt snowball. Yes. And we um, were... I'll tell you what, Dave Ramsey seeing him in that live event was a life. That was another life-changing event for us. Um, I remember just some of the illustrations, the object lessons of chains and yeah. and stuff like that, and and the whole idea of this i of this concept of man, wouldn't it be nice if one day you went into work and you just had enough, and the and and your boss sits there and tells you, you know, blah blah blah, and he's yelling, and if you just walk out and say, you know what, I don't care, I'm out of here. And it's like, well, you you have to care. It's like, no, I don't. I don't know anybody, anything. <laughs> and so, and, and I remember just so many of those things. And of course, he talked about this thing called um, 
uh, the emergency fund, you know, saving up three, well, first he talked about the ba- baby step number one, $1,000. And, and I remember he saying, saying something like, you might think, well, where am I going to come up with $1,000 to put in this, emer- you know, baby step, you know, emergency fund? It's like, listen, if your child was sick and needed a surgery and you didn't have the money, do you think that you'd find a way to get $1,000? And I remember that specifically. It's like, you know, you have to have that kind of intensity and you'll find that you'd be willing to sell a lot of things to, to save your child. And because we had kids at the time, that, that really resonated with us. And it's like, you know what? If it does become a priority, we can do this. And so that's when we became intensely focused on, on the steps that we learned from Dave Ramsey through the live event. And honestly, it, the live event was pretty much the, the gist of what got us started. So we went home with our notebook from the live event and built our $1,000 emergency fund and started our debt snowball. And um, that was in the summer of 04. And that we just, we were riding that bike for, you know, quite a lot, quite a while. And we'll talk more a little so, bit about that in a, in yeah. a few minutes. However, we want to we tell you another part of our backstory is in December of 2005 was a, another major event for us. We started podcasting for the very first time about the TV show Lost. I had no idea what a podcast was. And I had he comes to me and he's like, do you want a podcast about Lost? And I'm like, you want a what? <laughs> and um, so he starts explaining to me, it's this, it's like a talk radio show on the internet and we can talk about Lost and we can, you know, do all of this stuff. And um, I'm like, uh, okay. But I had learned a few months back um, before that, that to connect with my husband, I should do something that he was interested in. I should um, join him in a hobby of his, and so I did. And so she did. And uh, we sat down in front of a microphone and uh, talked about this TV show. And I, I had already I just read what he wrote for me to talk about because he scripted me way back then. <laughs> I did. I did script her. I, I basically what had happened is I had heard about podcasting, these audio recordings that you can put out on the on the web and stuff like that. And before I was uh, before I had considered this, I'd already been blogging about the TV show because this TV show, if you haven't watched it, had a it had a worldwide cult following, and in that this show has had so much mystery uh, built into it and so many hidden clues. And I'm telling you, there were people who who actually took um, screen after screen after screen of the shots of this TV show and there were like three frames where if you missed it you wouldn't have you wouldn't or if you would have just been watching you wouldn't have seen it but if you captured the frames frame by frame there was a hidden clue up here and people would talk for hours about this back and forth in these online forums so literally thousands upon thousands of people online in these forums put together by the TV network station and ran by the creators of the show and it was just so amazing to be connected with other people. And the fact, thing is, is nobody in our area that we hung out with at church or anything really could care less about this TV show. And uh, when I actually found a community of people online who were interested in talking about it, it's like, wow, this is amazing. And so I started blogging about it. And the next thing I know, I'm quoted in an entertainment magazine <laughs> on, my, on my blog because of Cliff Ravenscraft's theory on this, what's going on in this show. And I'm like, Some of them were pretty bizarre, too. <laughs> they were pretty bizarre. Thomas theory. I'm, I'm telling you, the no, way they, they it could wrong. still be true. It was so wrong. So anyway. <laughs> so off base. I love you, but it was so off base. All right. So anyway, 
Uh, we started podcasting, and when I started podcasting, we started the show. It was called. I started the show first. I did recorded the first episode on December sixteenth, two thousand five, and that podcast was called Generally Speaking. And the reason why is there were so many technology podcasts out there, and I I wanted to talk about technology, but you know there's so many out there. I wanted to talk about the TV show Lost, but there were already so many out there, and I wanted to talk about my faith and. Well, why don't I just do a show called Generally Speaking, and every episode would be a topic. And whatever that topic is, it'll just be in the title of the episode. And so recorded, I've, I recorded solo the first episode explaining to people what my idea was. And the second episode had Stephanie in it, and so did the third and the fourth. And what happened was we had 14,000 subscribers by the third episode. And the reason why is because we tapped into an amazing opportunity. Uh, the TV show Lost could at that time be rented or actually purchased for $1.99 an episode in the iTunes music store. Because that was we didn't start podcasting until season two. Right. So you could go back and And at that time Lost had been playing a lot of music in the TV show and people were looking for the soundtrack. And when and you go into iTunes and search in the music store for Lost, it will show you It'll show you the music that we'll pull up. It'll show you TV shows, and it will show you podcasts. And we were the second podcast right next to the official podcast put together by ABC. Wow. 14,000 subscribers by the third episode. And we had people begging us, please forget your original idea and just do a show devoted to Lost. And so, at, you know, my thinking ahead is like, I still want to talk about these other things. So it became the weekly lost edition of the Generally Speaking Podcast Network. So, uh, it, and it was the only show of our network, but it was, it, was, it was the foundation for things to come. In March of 2006, I launched a second show to replace Generally Speaking called My Crazy Life. It's, it was that show where I could talk about anything and everything. Because people had asked us. They're like, you know, we love listening to you guys talk about Lost, but now we want to hear about you. We want to hear about your life. We want to hear, you know, there's just something about you guys that is, it's, that I'm not finding in my everyday life. And um, so that, that that's where My Crazy Life came from. And it's just talking about the Ravenscrafts, which was kind of scary. <laughs> It, it was, but we did. We had we had some people would write in, and they, so, like there was some religious themes or elements in the TV show Lost, and we would bring in some of my understanding of what the Bible says and and how that relates to what was in the thing. Of course, I never went into this as you know this is a ministry outlet for us. This is just this is pure entertainment and enjoyment for me. So if anything, this is a way for me to break free from all this ministry that I'm doing and all this work that I'm doing. This is, this is one of my creative, just fun outlets. And occasionally, our faith would just barely be touched on, and, and then all of a sudden we'd get emails saying, I have this sneaking suspicion that you and your wife are Christians. Is that true? And I would respond, well, yes, it is. And then all of a sudden, the response emails came in, sometimes four, five, as many as 10 or 15 pages in length, with people sharing their struggles with their faith in God and asking us for advice. And we're talking about people all over the world. And so that is why we decided to create another show called My Crazy Life, where we have this outlet so that we're not pushing this stuff down the throats of all the people who don't want it, but we have an outlet for the people who do want this additional information. So we started... Um, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the first one last. Okay. All right, so okay. let's start with the first one. Well, tell, think, tell them about Kim's email. I think Kim's email came 
first anyway. Um, Kim is um, a girl we got acquainted with through Lost, you know, started listening to it, and after she um, suspected or whatever that we were believers, she sent in this very long email about um, finding a finding a church and just, can you answer these questions for me? Can you help me out? Um, can you tell me why you, you believe in God? What, you Absolutely. know, what what led you to that? And she, in that, she listed some things um, from her past that were kind of um, holding her back from from believing, and so we sat down. Well, I asked. I, I wrote. I, I wrote her back and said, "Listen, you know, honestly, there are. I, there, I know. I'm got. I've got a few emails with people with the same questions that you have, and I would love to to respond to you, you know, and and share everything in written text form if you'd like. But if you would be willing to let me read your email, I won't even use your name. But if you'd be willing to let me read your email." In a podcast, Stephanie and I will record a, a response for you. And she says, by all means, use my name. And we said, okay. And so we titled that episode Kim's Email. Kim's Email. And we sat down and we answered her pretty much paragraph for paragraph um, to, the best, to the best of our ability. And um, it, became, it became a very popular episode. A very popular episode. I got an email the day after we released it. We, re- we recorded it uh, one late night put it out immediately on the internet. The next day after I got back from work, I checked my email and it was from Kim and she said she had to leave work early that day because she couldn't stop crying uncontrollably all day long. And she said that she had, she had, uh, did as we had suggested that she said I had prayed, God if you're real will you please communicate to my heart that you're real. And she said she has never been so convinced in her life that God was real. And um, within, within 24 hours, she was asking, you know, how can you help me find a local church that will help me to understand God's word, to understand who he is. And she was in Chicago. And she was in Chicago. And we found her the help that she needed to find a great community to plug into. And this became the realization of we've got something more going on here than what we realized. We, we did another episode. Uh, this is actually the most popular episode that we ever did. And you, you all know Dave Ramsey. And you know how many people call in and say, thank you, Dave Ramsey. I'm debt free. Believe it or not, we have people calling in saying, thank you, Cliff and Stephanie. We're debt free because of what you shared. Which about was Dave Ramsey. About Dave Ramsey. Uh, so in 2006, we recorded an episode called Living Debt Free. And we were probably about, what, five months away from paying everything off? Probably, yeah. So we paid off $80,000 plus in debt in just over two years. Wow. Just over two years. Thank you. We sold a lot. Uh, we lived we on... We a lot less. We, did, we stopped eating out. We, we, don't, we haven't had a credit card in I don't know how many years. Um, well, we talked about that last night. Our last charge to our credit card was in the spring of 06, and Matthew had to have his tonsils out. We had just finished paying off medical bills from some surgery that Megan had had, and we're like, you know what? Let's just, we're already paying these people. We'll just put, put Max medical bills on there and just pay that off. And um, whether it was smart or not, we did it. That, it doesn't matter because it's in the past. <laughs> and, uh, and we did it, and we paid it off. And we haven't had a credit card since, and, and don't desire one. So anyway, we shared about this in, in 2006 called Living Debt Free, and we talked about 
how we got into debt. We talked about how we got out of debt, and we talked about Dave Ramsey and how Stephanie told me where Dave Ramsey could put things uh, <laughs> several times. I did. And I did. Well, th- there's a story behind that is that when we moved into our house in 2003, that it was we were on the five-year plan. We um, then again, this was before we started Dave Ramsey. And what Cliff promised, we're going to be in this house between five and seven years. Mm-hmm. And so we start working the Dave Ramsey. We're, we're, getting, <laughs> we're getting up there and uh, reaching that six-year mark. And I'm like, seriously? I'm sorry. <laughs> if you say his name one more time, <laughs> you're sleeping on the curb. <laughs> I can't take it anymore. I, I can't take it anymore. And um, we'll be in our house eight years <laughs> in the fall. Um, and we're still on the five-year plan. <laughs> but what, the amazing thing is, is where we are today, we're very content in the home that we are. We, uh, we are, which yeah. is a work of God, honestly. Yeah. So the thing is, though, is that uh, we did other popular episodes. The, the most popular title that we ever did was called Sex in the Vagina. We did. Uh, which is an episode. <laughs> right. It got, it got a lot of attention. It really did. And... Um, and the cool thing, it, it really, it's about talking to our daughter about sex. It's about um, using the proper words. You know, we've always used the um, anatomically correct words. Yep. And, um, and, so, and that's what it's about. But that title just jumped, he chose it, not me. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but that title just like jumped out. Yeah, lots of people listened just because of... But the title. But exactly, and and so what that did, I mean, you, when you think about Kim's email, living debt free, uh, sex in the vagina, you know, talking about these different things, um, it, it became a place where it became evident to us that we have this opportunity to do ministry, which leads into some pretty interesting things. Uh, in April two thousand six, I decided to start a podcast called the About the Church podcast because. Even in my crazy life that Stephanie and I were doing together, I still didn't want to just shove faith, you know, too much down people's throat. There were still a lot of people who were just mildly interested in us talking about our family. And so I I never wanted to get to the place where I'm just pushing too much at people that I'm turning people off. So it's like, you know what, I'm going to create a third show called About the Church. And by golly, if you're going to listen to this podcast, you better understand, I'm going to be talking about verses from the Bible. It's, it's, going, to be, it's going to be drenched in talk about faith in Jesus Christ. That, that's, that's, all you're, that all, that's all there is to it. There won't be any apology about that in this show. And what happened was you get people who listen to um, Lost who then come over to here, who come over to here. And now today, there's probably about six or 7,000 people who listen to the About the Church podcast, every episode of it. And so, it, 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 you know, all of these things have just been, you know, bringing people in. In November of 2006, however, I want to let you know that I decided to step away from any and all official positions within the church. And it was in November of 2006 that I started a five-part series in the About the Church podcast titled, why I hate the church. And I will tell you, I despised the church. Now, I'm not talking about the church as in what God has created and placed on this earth, but I'm talking about the institution and the organization that we have here in North America today. It is messed up and is nothing like what I read about in the New Testament, and it frustrated me pretty bad. In fact, I got to the point where I was, uh, several years ago, prior to this, we had left the Nazarene church, 
and we had moved to a large church. Uh, it, in our minds, it's a mega church. It had 5,500 members. And I was pastor of small groups. So I was actually a pastor of all these people who were pastoring small groups of people in their home. And, uh, of course, unpaid position, but I, I, was, I was happy to do it, you know. And what happened, though, is they, began, they asked me to sign up as a deacon, which when I read their description of a deacon, it didn't fit any of my spiritual gifts. And they wanted me to become an elder, but through their process, you had to be a deacon for two years before you became an elder. So you had to, do th- two, for, you had to serve for two years completely outside of any spiritual gifting to get to a place where God can use you in your spiritual gifts. And I said, no, I'm, I'm, not, gonna, I'm not going to be here for three service, or no, four services on the weekend. I'm not going to deliver communion to people in their homes. I'm not going to shovel the snow in the wintertime. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to... I'm already... Can't get him to shovel our snow. <laughs> I, I'm already... I'm already here four days a week. And I'm, I'm in meetings. I'm teaching. I'm leading. And I have a full-time career. And I have three kids and a wife. I said, I'm already doing too much. I began... I got, I got to the point where I was being judged on a regular basis by my peers. These are the people who were other staff uh, in the church. I became very judged about the amount of time that I was spending on my meaningless hobby. And those were the, those were the exact words that were being used. Now this is long after. This is this is a year and a half probably after we had been seeing some amazing things happen. And of course, every time I would share this with other people in my church, the you know, they could care less. They only wanted to talk about the growth of the ministry, the growth of this, the growth of that. And it's like, well, these people aren't coming here. You know, you know, stop focusing on those people because they need to find churches of their own and they need to, get, they need to be fed by those people. And, and you need to, you, we need you here. And it, it just got really bad. They, I felt like they just did not care about what I was doing. And nobody would listen. And I could tell nobody would listen because I was already, I was already at a place where I felt like I was doing pretty well in my understanding of podcasting at this point. And one of the things that I offered to do for our church, now we have a 5,500 member church. You talk about a church that's ripe to do a podcast. I mean, you don't get to be a church that size without a pastor that has great teachings, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you've got a church that size. People are going out on vacation and business trips. It'd be nice to have a podcast for a church like this and imagine what that church could do. And I went and proposed this to them. And the words that were used is, we really want to do a podcast, but we don't want to do a podcast until we can do it with excellence. So we're not interested. And I'm like, thank you. And it wasn't too long after that that um, I, that's when I had stepped down. I, I, I resigned from all my positions. We maintained our membership in the church for about three or four or five more months. Um, but it was sporadic because... Um we weren't connected anymore. Our um, our our peers, basically, our friends, turned their backs on us. We were excluded from social gatherings. We, we were, were not invited to people's in, birthday parties. Yeah, we. I mean, they there there's a huge Halloween party that they just didn't invite us to, and then had the nerve to ask us the next morning, "What do you think about so and so's costume?" I'm like, what costume? <laughs> what <Yeah>. party? <laughs> and um, and so we weren't we weren't going regularly at that point. And um, it wasn't until a few months. It was around Easter of um, oh seven. Yeah, it was Easter of oh seven. Easter of oh seven that um, 
we just woke up one morning and we were both like, well, why don't we go try out Watermark? Um, our The music pastor of the church that we had been going to had left a few years prior to start his own church for people who had given up on church. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, yeah. <laughs> right, right on, um, you know, he was tired of leaving his house every day and seeing these people, his neighbors, um, you know, out jogging, people who he knew... Um, People who he knew believed, but were tired of the church. And so he had started that a few years ago. We woke up on a Sunday morning and we're like, you know what? Let's go to Watermark. Um, it was both of us, so we took that as a sign from God, and we went, and we never looked back. Yeah, and I do want to say this. That at the church we were at, uh, there was one, I mean, it had a lot of staff pastors. There were probably about nine or ten staff pastors at this church. And one of the staff pastors there, very great guy, and I had expressed to him my frustrations. And he's like, Cliff, I totally get where you're coming from. And, and I won't say some of the other things that he said because I know this is being recorded on many <laughs> levels. So, but I will, I will tell you this. He says, he goes, I got a book for you. And he says, you need to go get this book. It's called Simple Church. And I can't even remember the name of the author right now off the top of my head. But I went and looked it up and I emailed him. I said, is this the one? I got that book and I'm like, this is what I'm looking for. And that's when it was the next weekend. We, I said, let's go over here. And uh, turns out that um, I, I asked Chad, the pastor, I said, can we have lunch? And I had lunch with him. And it's amazing because he had this whole ministry. He had already started about, what, how many years ago? Up to well, that? it's five, and we've been going for three. So. Okay, so he had started it two years before that. And I shared with him the book Simple Church, and I shared it with him some principles. He read that and took the entire staff of Watermark, the church that we're at, and they went on a staff retreat. They came back after that weekend. The next weekend, they implemented everything in that book, completely changing the the whole the whole communication style of the church of how they reach the the people who who come in. So anyway, it, it, it's an amazing story. We found that. Um, we were glad to be in a, in, a, in a place where people say, you know what, we meet in a high school gymnasium. We don't have a building, so we don't have places for you to come meet here every day of the week. We don't like meetings, so we avoid them unless they're absolutely critically necessary. Um, and if you don't want to participate in leading in a ministry that we have, but you're plugged in and you're doing something that God has called you to do with your gifts, then we're here to support you in that. And oh my gosh, that was amazing. So, stepping back right before that, though, uh, in February of 2007, we did become debt-free. So, mi- minus our mortgage. We still have the mortgage. But, uh, thankfully, we've had one sponsor for the last three years. One sponsor for the last three years. And um, that one sponsorship of just one of our podcasts has paid our mortgage every month for the last three years. So. So basically, by as you can tell, by this time, podcasting and building a meaningful community had become my sole passion. You know, and um, basically, every passion that I once had for insurance was completely gone. I mean, I, I believe it or not, I used I really got to the point where I enjoyed insurance. It's kind of funny. It's I did like funny. helping people. You did like helping people, and you had your scripture verse that went along with life insurance and blah 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 blah. But um, <laughs> she was impressed. Yeah, yeah you can tell. <laughs> the vacations were fantastic. <laughs> but this, there, there's something more special about this being the first vacation that we've paid for in our 15-year marriage. Mean, we went on some pretty fantastic trips, thanks to Grange Life Insurance. But uh, but there's just something more special the fact that we we've done this one ourselves. Yeah. We paid for this ourselves. But um, 
know. Oh, then you, you, the insurance, the money. You the know. money. But he had gotten to a place where we were, we had been in so much debt for so long. He's like, I'm, I'm doing all this. I'm making very good money, but it's all for Chase. It, it's all for this bank or that bank or this credit card or that credit card. We don't see any of it ever. And as soon as our debt was paid off, his passion for insurance died. It, yeah. They were like the two went together. Yep. It, it really, it, it, there was a there was a direct link yeah. to that. So basically, what happened was uh, there was a point because I was working debt fr- to get debt free. I was working sometimes somewhere between fifty to eighty hours a week at the insurance agency. I mean, sometimes I would be there at twelve o'clock at night filling out applications. Mm-hmm. I, I thank God because. And I thank God for Dave Ramsey, by the way, because I was teaching my clients about Dave Ramsey and all these people came in with their, you know, thinking they, they need life insurance and they talked to everybody else about whole life insurance. And Dave Ramsey says, listen, that stuff's a waste. You need to get term life insurance. And I actually educated my clients on Dave Ramsey plan, gave them the book and said, here, buy this policy. And um, I, I think I ended up, I made on average about uh, $300 in commission on every 30 year t- or 20 to 30 year t- term life insurance policy. So I was making some good money, but I, I was, and I was at the point where I was selling about 15 to 20 of those life insurance policies every day, Monday through Friday. What number were you in the Grange life insurance? I was, I was ranked uh, 14th out of, four, no, no, 48th out of 14,000 agents wow. in the company. Wow. And on all the trips that we went on, the all-expensive-paid trips, I was the only insurance agent there who got there by selling by term, term life insurance only. Everybody else, there were wow. three other guys who got there, and all they would do is sell between one and five life insurance policies a year. And that's all they did. So, But anyway, the thing is, is, is God was great in, in making everything come together. I, I did enjoy doing my job, but I was working at it. But once we got debt-free... And and I, and I had this. It's just like, man, I, I just don't want to work here anymore. So I actually, instead of spending, you know, forty or, or fifty to eighty hours over here, I would work my minimum forty hours over here at the family business, and I would spend twenty to thirty hours a week working at home and podcasting and building this community. Mm-hmm. And uh, it got to the point where um, I had we had started a total of twenty four different shows. All right. Now, currently, we only have about eight or nine of them that are active and produced on a weekly basis, one of them on an almost daily basis. Uh, we've recorded a total of uh, more than 2,400 individual podcast episodes. But here's the thing. I, real, I, became, I, I got really, really sick um, and, and felt really bad because, I, in my mind, I started to get to the point where I was stealing from the family business. And when I say that I was stealing from the family business, what I mean is I was paid a good salary to show up and to do work, to sell insurance. And all I wanted to do was punch the clock at that time. You know, and of course there wasn't punching the clock, but I, I would show up and I'll tell you, I spent probably about 70 to 80% of my day every day, Monday through Friday at the insurance agency. Uh, exchanging emails with people from the community of our podcast, and it it was it was really bad. And and I'll tell you what that actually that sent me into a pretty bad depression because of the guilt that I felt over it, you know. And and it got to the point where in August of 2007, I had I came up with the big decision. I either had to quit podcasting or I had to quit my job in insurance. 
And so I don't think you'll guess what I chose, but I actually quit in, I quit podcasting. Wow. I did for, for one, one week. week. <laughs> <laughs> I quit podcasting for one week and wow. I thought I was miserable and depressed before that. When I quit podcasting, all I I did not want to get out of the bed in the morning and go into work and but I made myself usually late and all I could think about all day long was going to bed that night. That was it. And, and, and I, I hate to even admit it, but spending time with my wife and kids wasn't even a thought. It was just like, I was, I was miserable. I, was de- I mean, I was literally depressed. So I returned to podcasting uh, one week later, and I returned with the idea that I might possibly try to find a way to make podcasting my career about five to ten years down the road. Basically saying, the only reason I'm here in insurance because my dad owns this agency and he needs me here. And, you know, I don't know why I thought this, but this agency couldn't live without me, you know, working here. And, and, and that I would really be letting the family down if I left. And that's the only thing that was keeping me there. And so I thought to myself, well, I'll just put this dream I have on the back burner until my dad retires. And when my dad retires, instead of me taking over the agency, which was the plan prior to this, instead of me taking over the agency, he'll sell it or whatever he wants to do, and then I can go and do what I know that I, I want to do with my life. And besides, you know, I need to spend some time to build up capital or something like that to, to do this. So September 26, 2007, Stephanie? I walked into the room to my very mopey, depressed husband who I couldn't stand anymore and said, <laughs> it's time to leave insurance, you're going to start podcasting full time. It was pretty much that. That it was just like that. I told him, um, I, "I'm ready to have my husband back. My kids are ready to have their dad back. Um, this you, I can't live with anymore. I, I can't do it. It's um, you're making me miserable. I can't watch you anymore. And um, and it's time. It, it's just time. And he's like, "Are you sure?" I said, "Absolutely." Mm-hmm. I uh, Cliff is very. Um, he likes to waver on decisions. He likes well, waver is probably the wrong word, but uh, I like he, to think about them for a very long them. time. He likes to <laughs> analyze them. I make a decision and I stick to it. And uh, and I said, no, this is this is the way we're going to go. This is this is how it's going to happen. And uh, you're going to go in and you're going to give your give notice and and you're going to do this. And um, I said, I want my husband back, and I got him back about a year ago. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and um, it, it was it was a long um, a long process, a lot of stress and nerves because he went in on October first of two thousand eight. No, two thousand seven. And um, gave his ninety day notice to his dad, thinking that his dad was going to be like, "You're crazy. <laughs> this isn't going to work. You got to stay here. You got to do this." Um, and uh, he was kind of hoping that that would be his fallback plan. You know, if dad's not gonna, dad's not gonna support it. I can't do it. And um, and no, he, dad completely supported. It. My dad says I've been waiting for you to come and tell me when you were gonna, when when you were ready to, to step up and go do something that, that you want to do with your life. Wow. He, he he says you know I didn't I didn't want to suggest it. You know, as far as I'm concerned, this is always here for you if you want it. But I know you're not here. And you got to do something that you love. And and he says, what you what you do with your podcast, how excited I see you. He says, in my in my mind, there is absolutely not a possible way. There's not even a chance that you could fail. 
And he says, and he, in fact, he says, I wouldn't be surprised if one day you don't make more money than I do. Mm-hmm. And my dad makes a lot of money. A lot of money. So, and, and I'm like, whatever, you know, okay. So, but, but I got that, I got that support. I want to say one other thing about my wife. You know, she's been stay-at-home mom since that, since for the last 10 years. Uh, she says, I don't care what it takes. You're going to go put in your notice. If we have to sell our house and rent, if I have to go out and get a job, Whatever it takes. You're not going back to insurance. You're not going back to insurance. And so I kept my license for one year and uh, all that stuff. But uh, after the first year, I, I, I cut all ties. I cut all ties. December of 07 was a little rocky. Um, Cliff couldn't quite breathe properly. Um, he didn't sleep very much from the anxiety because we, we jumped, I like to say we jumped in head first. We had no plans. We had no clients. We had nothing but um, a, a community that had stuck with us from the beginning and people who believed that we could do it. And, um, and, we, and, and we had faith, and, that, and faith that this that was what God was calling was us to way. do. And, I, and by the way, Dan tells everybody on the podcast, listen, you don't want to just jump into this without a plan and stuff like that. And, and I totally agree with Dan because it, it, was, it was tough in January of 2008. And and then the, I'm I'm shocked that I'm still living after the 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 last the last week, uh, the last week that I worked for my parents that last week in December of 2007. I, she said I didn't sleep at night. I, I didn't sleep at night because I was afraid that if I went to sleep, I would not wake up in the morning. That's how bad I I there I, I would say every night for a week I felt like I was having a heart attack. It was it was that bad. And so I don't recommend what I went through. But I tell you, it was it was a growing experience for me. I, surprisingly, though, January first, two thousand eight, I woke up. I got dressed first thing, and I worked and worked and worked. Now I worked way too much. Um, I worked uh, twelve to fourteen hours a day, seven days a week for the first nine months. Oh, I'd say you were probably working more than twelve to fourteen hours. All right. <laughs> it, it was not healthy what I was doing, but. I didn't know what to do. I had never had any formal business training. None of that stuff. I had no idea. I had no. I didn't even know what a business plan was. I actually had to Google business plan and look up business plans uh, because, and I didn't do that until six months into it. <laughs> All right. All right. But um, the thing, I know we're running. How, how are we doing on time? Let's see. We got nine minutes left, right? Yep. All right. So anyway, it was very difficult. Um, it wasn't until September that I, I started to listen to Dave Ramsey a little bit more again and I was because I was li- listening for podcasts while I was out walking or doing something and I kept hearing him mention something I heard him mention years ago and that's this book 48 Days to the Work You Love and he's giving this book out to everybody and I'm like I'm going to go get that book because everybody that calls in that he goes in these are the same kind of questions I have and this book must have some of those answers for Dave to, to recommend it so I got 48 Days to the Work You Love if you go to GS, if you're taking any notes, go to gspn.tv forward slash the number four, the number eight, hyphen, a little dash, D-A-Y-S. And you can listen to back-to-back episodes that I recorded as my reviews of each of the chapters as I was reading them. I go back from time to time and I'll listen to some of them and I remember struggling, thinking to myself, how am I ever going to get somebody to pay me $50 an hour? You know, that just seems impossible. And today my rate's one fifty an hour. What was the uh, website again? It's gspn.tv slash 48 dash D-A-Y-S. 
And but this book, Dan's book, radically transformed my idea and my thoughts about work, and uh, the fact that you can do the work you love for a living and not feel guilty about it. Uh, that you can make money doing what you love and not feel guilty. That that was such a huge relief for me because I always had this opinion of work that you do things that you hate to do and that's why people pay you money because it's you, painful. because it's they don't want to do it <laughs> and so you're paying that people are paying you to do it for them. So he's he's downstairs. He's in what back then was called the hole. We're not allowed to call it in that anymore. Yeah, we got to stay but, positive. Uh, it was like a little groundhog. He only came up once a year. <laughs> We'd yell dinner. He'd poke out and run back. And um, and so he's down there trying to figure out how he's going to start making money. And I'm like, that's fantastic, but we need to put some food on the table. We need to come up with something to do right now. And so with tons of taxes and penalties, we withdrew from his pension that um, had accumulated while working in insurance, and we lived off of that for the year of 2008, yeah. um, plus our tax return. Yeah, the amazing thing was is um, we, we had lived on a great budget that I, every month or every week when I would get my paycheck from insurance, I would save all my paychecks, and at the end of the month, or the first of the next month, I would take all the money that came in the prior month, and we would give every name a dollar, and, and we every would... Dollar. Every dollar. <laughs> every, every dollar, okay, every dollar had a name, and we would decide where that money was going to go, and that's how we had, we would budget month after month by month, and so, um, in I don't have Janu- any dollars to name. <laughs> well, in, no, in January, we lived on December's income, in February, we lived on my final bonus from insurance from December. Plus Christmas money. From, yes, plus Christmas money. Uh, and then in March, we lived off of, or March, April, and May, we lived off, lived off of my tax refund from the year before. And then June, July, and August, we barely squeaked by with the little bit of money that the business had earned over the first nine months. And when I was reading this book, I realized I can't just sit here and spend all my day trying to land business. I need to start putting a plan together and I need to s- some time to think about working on my business instead of just working in it day by day by day by day. And so that's when I decided, you know what, I've got this, we had a significant amount of money in a pension and I took out $14,000 paid, 4000 in taxes and penalties and I didn't want to take out a little loan and I didn't want to get debt so I had $10,000 and we lived on $10,000 the last three months of the year. And uh, we made it. And of course, that I just want to say that everybody says that's the stupidest thing you could ever do in the world. And I would probably agree financially, but it was before the stock market crashed. And the month after I took out that $14,000, it went straight down. I made money on the deal. So, <laughs> so I, 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 don't, I don't suggest people do it, though. 2009 was slow but steady growth. Um, things were going extremely well. Uh, and... Uh, I'll tell you what, some other time I'll tell you about how we met Dan Miller, if anybody's interested, because that was a, this is an amazing story of, of just, you know, a, one of my dreams was just to meet Dan Miller and to, to actually tell him how much of an impact his book had had on changing my perspective on business and, and doing work that you love and living out your purpose in life. And uh, it, that dream obviously has become a reality. So <laughs> it, it's a cool story of how it happened. But in, anyway, in 2010... Uh, thanks to a lot to Dan and, and him mentioning me a couple times, but a, a bunch of other strategic relationships that, ha- that God has just completely brought all together. 2010 ended up, um, after three years of doing this, I made more money last year than I've ever made before in my life. Yeah. Right, so. 
And you might ask yourself this question of where does Twitter and Facebook and all this other stuff, where does that all fit into this? I want to tell you, everything that you've just heard in condensed form, our day-by-day-by-day life is all chronicled in 2,400 and more or more podcast episodes that are available online to everybody in the world. Mm-hmm. And um, I have, we have three minutes to okay. say this. I want to tell you, and Dan's heard this story, but um, uh, the thing is, is I don't, I've never been a fan of people who s- comes up to you and says, God told me to tell you something. You, you know, it, I, I believe that God will speak, you know, prophetic words to people, but I'm always skeptical when it happens, and especially when they tell me what God wanted to say. <laughs> Stephanie and I were dating, and I had become a Christian. It was our, it was our first, um, we were introduced on a blind date, and um, we had one date, and then I took him to my junior prom at high school, mm-hmm. and that next morning we went to church. Mm-hmm. So I'd known him for a week, and I took him to church with me. Yep. And I had been a Christian since 2001, and this, or since 1991. This was 1995, and uh, I had been falling away from my relationship with God and pursuing all kinds of wild and crazy stuff. Uh, and all of a sudden, I go into this church, and Stephanie goes off somewhere else. During the worship service, I really felt God's presence in an amazing I way. I was part of the youth group. I, and I remember God's presence in a really amazing way that day, but um, it was still felt like, you know, I, God couldn't really want anything to do with me right now with the way I'm living. Anyway, after that, the guy who was playing the bass guitar up in this worship and praise band comes up to me and says, listen, you don't know who I am and I don't know who you are, but God told me to come up here and tell you something. And I'm like, oh, great. This is one of those kind of churches. And um, so anyway, this he, he says, he says, God told me to tell you that one day you're going to do ministry full-time. And this is, again, if you follow the timeline, this is 1995. I wasn't called to ministry until mid-1996. He says, one day you're going to do ministry full-time for a living, and you're going to minister to tens of thousands of people. And um, I'm like, I think you got the wrong guy. It must have been the guy sitting next to me. And, uh, and I never even, I just remember hearing that. And then all of a sudden when I did feel the call to ministry, I'm, that, those words kept ringing through my head, you know. One day I'll do ministry of tens of thousands. And I'm in a small Nazarene church. I mean, a mega church, the Nazarene church is 800 members. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm not in the right place for that. So, but I'm going to go wherever. And then all of a sudden I head to this mega church. And, you know, I, we end up in this 5,500. It's like, well, gosh, this church would have to double. And I'd have to be the pastor of the church to be able to, to do that. And, and I kept butting my head against the wall in every single institution where I tried to fulfill what I was told was my calling, which was to be this full-time head pastor of a church. And finally, God says, give up that idea and realize that you've got a ministry right in front of you. And I want to tell you that, yeah, we have a consulting business and a coaching business, and, we, and I make some great money doing that. But I want to tell you right now that God's using all of that to fund our full-time ministry where every single week we talk to a congregation of 60,000-plus wow. people a week. Yeah. Right. And I, I want to just say thank you to God for my beautiful wife who, who pushed me over the edge and says you got to do what you got to do. And, and she sacrificed a lot. So thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.
Stephanie, how do you feel about being a pastor's wife? <laughs> I'm pretty content now. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> broke the mold. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is that for the last 15 years, God has been preparing me and shaping me, and now he's saying, guess what? You're not just a wife. You have your own purpose. Yes. yes. All right. Yes. Amen. And, uh, and so he, he's doing some radical changes in my life as well. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Such, Thanks. Such a great sharing. example of, of how we're all in ministry. Absolutely. Yes. yes. And, and Absolutely. it's wise, does it take us so long to figure that out? That just because you're not in at, at pulpit, on a right. pulpit, Absolutely. in the church, that if you're not there, that you're not in ministry. This is just ludicrous. Absolutely. We are all in ministry. We, are all we should in ministry. all be in ministry. Which is what we're actually all called to do. Anyway. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly.